Hi folks, welcome to the podcast. We are we're here off of Kirby at uh, Good Company, Arbordello Palace. We appreciate Good Company for letting us use their space to do this podcast. Really excited about this one today because we're going to uh, get to talk to some very knowledgeable guys here with me about of several topics. Um, we'll probably get into flounder and we'll certainly jump into tarpon. So we've got Brian Treadway and Scott Alford with me. Guys, thanks for joining the podcast. You bet. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to start with introductions. So, Mr. Fish Control My Brain, why don't you uh, tell us about yourself? Well, <laughs> um, people have told me I needed to go into the fishing industry, and I've been probably one of the smart ones and stayed out of it and just kept on the recreational side, um, which uh, has allowed me to uh, participate on a volunteer um, aspect and work with great fisheries uh, like Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, specifically on the fishery side. Um, kind of uh, recognized the um, um, the issue with flounder early on. Got highly involved with the issue um, from just from a recreational standpoint, on um, from a biology aspect, from an educational aspect. And I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of friendships now from uh, on the TPWD side where you and I met, um, as well as getting to work with a number of other people um, through the conservation side. And so, uh, you know, I got to got to do a lot of catch and release where we actually brought in a lot of flounder through the tournaments we were doing on the West Bay Galveston side through chocolate and uh, brought in quite a few live flounder for Galveston's uh, uh, fishery side. Got to really see the program get ramped up. Really got to talk a lot about it to different, a lot of CCA, different chapters, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's been a it's been a blast so far. So I really enjoy what I do, um, just from a volunteer perspective. So Brian, why do you like what what is it about flounder that that you find so compelling, so interesting as as opposed to other fishes that we can catch in our waters? So uh, you know when you look at the big three like uh, flounder speckled trout and, and redfish, you know, uh, flounder is the one that's still commercially harvested. Um, it was the one that I got to really experience fishing as a small kid with my dad at Rollover Pass. Um, and being able to experience that part of the fishery at a very, very young fisherman and being able to have that experience from, not from a boat, just from land access, um, really from a young perspective on how accessible that fishery is and to watch it over the years that I progressed from the 80s into the 90s into 2000s about how fewer were there, it it spawned the question was, what's happening? Why is this happening? What's going on? And so I felt compelled to educate myself and share what I'd learned. And so uh, what happened with flounder? It just, I felt speckled trout and redfish were represented well. I mean, we see the redfish bumper stickers with CCA. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, speckled trout is a hot button for a lot of people that specifically go out and focus for speckled trout. But how many people you hear still release flounder? Very few. It's a it's a meat fish. We got to keep that one, which I'm perfectly okay with. I mean, the joke is, you know, I practice uh, catch and release as much as I practice fillet and grease when it's with <laughs> flounder. But um, it's a it's a fish that. I didn't want to see a fishery closed, which was proposed at one point because yeah. I felt like once it gets closed, we don't get it back. And two, it, it was nice to be able to just to represent the average angler that maybe didn't have a boat, maybe wanted, didn't, that wasn't the style of fishing they liked to do uh, from that actual perspective uh, from the flounder because a lot of people still like to walk in. And despite everyone thinking the only time you can catch flounders and the run starting up September, I catch them year-round. Yeah. And so being able to share that as well, the different techniques on how to approach that. Good, so, good. Yeah. 
And uh, Mr. Alford, how about yourself? Yeah, um, my name's Scott Alford. I, uh, gosh, when did I get started in tarpon fishing? That's a, it's a while back. Um, I want to say it was probably the 80s, um, shortly out of high school, I guess. I was always interested in tarpon ever since I was a little kid watching American sportsmen and stuff on TV. And uh, my passion really kind of kicked in uh, when I was in college working one summer in Houston. I opened the newspaper, and there was an article in there about catching tarpon off Galveston. And, of course, that was enlightening to me. I was like, wow, they're tarpon in Galveston. i got to go do this. And so I booked a trip with probably one of the most famous tarpon guides in and on the, certainly on the upper Texas coast, Mike Williams. And on the first trip out, we uh, that afternoon, we we jumped a huge fish, probably still to this day one of the biggest fish I've ever seen, and fought him for an hour and 45 minutes. And I knew it was big because when your guide is standing behind the console and he keeps asking the same question over and over, do you see how big that fish was? Do you see how big that fish was? <laughs> you get an appreciation of, I guess it was a pretty big fish, right? And um, and so I always had sort of an interest in tarpon fishing, and I started getting into it then. And and when it comes to tarpon fishing, there's as much an element of hunting in tarpon fishing because they come up and they roll, and and so there's a challenge there. Um, and you don't keep them; they're not edible fish, so it's a purely a sport activity. And there's a lot we don't know about them. Um, they've been around since the time of dinosaurs. And there's so much that we don't know about them, and they're highly migratory, especially the big ones. Yeah. And so there's a there was a lot of interest there, and I started getting in on involved in the science side of it about 18 years ago, and been prodding along ever since. Um, CCA was good enough to help us a number of years back with our satellite tagging program, and donated some money for some satellite tags, uh, which have really yielded some really incredible information, not only about Texas tarpon, but tarpon in general around the Gulf and on the East Coast. Uh, but uh, two years ago, we started an organization called the Interna International Tarpon Conservation Association, or ITCA for short. Um, it's a 501c3, and the idea really behind it was to create an organization which could um, uh, accept donations, and then graduate student level or marine biology level uh, biologists could contact us if they wanted to obtain some additional funds for just tarpon research. So mm -hmm. so unlike a lot of other organizations, if, if you're interested in tarpon and you want to give money to us, rest assured it's not going to bonefish, it's not going to permit, it's going to tarpon if it comes to us. And uh, we've got some good things, I think, in the works. We've got a uh, – we have a uh, conventional tagging program that has been active for two years now. And we actually got our first return last summer on a on a streamer tag which is really cool it was a fish that was tagged two years before the year that we started the program in louisiana in september and it was recaptured this june off the coast of tampa awesome and it was about a 100 pound fish so that's not a big fish and it's yeah. migrated pretty good distance and we're going to continue our satellite tagging program but the thing that we've just recently talked about uh and again working with the university of miami on this one is we're really trying to develop um, a plan to do the first tarpon stock assessment ever done. And uh, we're going to concentrate, uh, our, our efforts are going to be, our, I think our first what we're going to do is we're going to do some information gathering from specific guides and or tournaments and, and try to get some history on catch. 
numbers um, and use some of that. But then we're going to start really trying to implement some real cool technology into the uh, fish esti number estimates. We're going to do some uh, sonic sampling and choke points like the Bahia Honda Bridge and, yeah. and Key West and Boca Grand Pass. And then we're going to start trying to use some uh, laser LIDAR technology and actually do sweeps of certain areas and certain periods, times of the year, and actually start counting individual fish. Um, and then doing that over a number of years, maybe get a pattern of what that stock's doing. Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Is it stable? What is it? Huh. Uh, because you get a lot of anecdotal evidence. You talk to guides in Florida and go, oh, yeah, 20 years ago, man, we were covered with them, and we don't have them like we used to. Well, I mean, that's helpful information, but it's an observation. There's yeah. no fact behind it. And at some point, we've got to figure out what the sustainability is and, and uh, what the population status is. I was curious how that survey assessment would work because you don't have landings. No. And you, don't, you don't have a lot of the traditional things that you see in, in fisheries management. So this is kind of a different uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be totally different, and and it's going to have to be it's it's going to have to be a long term, yeah, you know, multi year process, um, and uh, you know, developing the study and having some confidence in, in what you get out of it. Um, but by the same token, it's got to be broad. I mean, we've got to do surveys in Texas and Louisiana and Florida and Georgia and Virginia and all the way. We got we got to cover the whole territory in the United States. <laughs> To get enough information yeah. because, you know, we already know this. You know, we, we have tarpon that come into the west coast of Florida into Boca Grande, and we've tagged satellite tag fish there. And some of those fish have gone all the way back out and up the Atlantic coast, and some of them have gone to Louisiana. So in one year, why did one fish go one way versus the other? Do we even know? Do they change or do they stay doing the same thing all the time? You know, there, there are so many questions we don't know. You talked about different tags. And for the layman angler that may be yeah. listening in today, you mentioned streamer, you mentioned satellite. Sure. Briefly kind of tell everyone because sure. that's something that i've always you know when we fish together scott i mean you you start getting you get really really high level yeah. bring, bring dumb it down for the okay. average guy that wants well, to hear about the tags our streamer tag program is what people can you know traditionally know is a conventional tag it has a dart in it it goes in the fish it's a little plastic streamer tag they're called spaghetti tags too sometimes looks like a piece of spaghetti has phone number on it and a number for the tag very similar to what you see it's on like the redfish and, yeah. and the flounder even okay. you know the old yeah. flounder tagging that i know some of y'all have done yeah um, and you place it in the fish and what we have is we have a website uh, tarpontags.com and have a phone you can pull it up on your phone and rather than have to fill out a piece of paper and mail it the traditional way just pull it up on your phone and punch in your information and the tag number and where you are and boom hit send and then you don't have to worry about paper or anything else on the boat um and uh and then if the fish gets recaptured hopefully the person will pull it or we want it left in as much as possible but if a lot of times you find they just cut it out um snip it out and then you know get the number log on and you can report a tag that way too mm -hmm. And that's kind of what happened with this guy in Florida. He didn't even know we were doing the tagging program, and he he, he called the number and found he out. He found the tag and yeah. tracked us down, and and you know was able to report it. Um, and he was all juiced up about it, that's obviously, because cool. it was the first one. And you know, we haven't placed that many. Uh, we've placed probably 100, 150 tags, maybe maybe 200. I don't even think it's that number yet, because uh, the program's really in its infancy. But uh, to get a return that quick is 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 pretty phenomenal. That's, that's one kind of tag. The other tag is, um, and there are actually multiple types, what we call the, the broad group of tags that we call satellite tags. And uh, they really have to be placed 
by a biologist or somebody that's experienced because it's not it's not as simple as it seems just stick a dart in the fish uh with a tag on it um i've been doing it for a handful of years and it took me a while to to be proficient enough to make sure that the tag stayed and everything mm -hmm. else but basically um there are two kinds one's called a pat tag which is uh pop off archival tag and it's the same ones they use on marlin and, and other fishes like that and uh it stays on the fish for a certain period of time up to about six months and it's recording um light uh when the sun rises when it sets water depth water temperature uh and we've actually learned it can actually tell you turbidity of the water how dirty the water is that the fish is swimming in and and it gathers all that data and then at a set time it comes loose from the fish floats to the surface and starts uh, sending all that data via satellite well the great thing about tarpon unlike like marlin marlin fish the tag comes off it's in the middle of the ocean and you got to wait for all the data um, but luckily with a, the tarpon tags they usually wash up on the beach and somebody gets them or we can go locate them. And when you pick up the tag, not only can you reuse it, which is great because they're expensive. They're mm -hmm. a few thousand dollars a piece. But you can get second for second data over that entire six-month period. You're not getting little snippets of information. You're getting total information from the tag. And some of the stuff we found is just, you know, incredible. So when you all retrieve these tags, do you all dress in black suits, pull up in a black car, and come yeah, and knock right. on the door with sunglasses? <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about that. The other kind of tag, which which is kind of funny, the other kind of tag that we have is what's called a spot tag, and I'll just have to plead I don't know what the acronym stands for. Um, but the neat thing about that is since tarpon roll, um, every time the tarpon comes up, if there's enough satellites up there to get a link, it sends It'll an immediate send. signal of where it is. Now, it doesn't collect the same amount of data on a day-by-day -day basis, but it does track where the fish is. Um, it doesn't really help you from a fishing standpoint. I've heard people go, oh, uh, you know, I don't need a satellite tag to go find tarpon to catch. Well, that's not really the point. And you don't, you know, the, the information goes to the biologist, and there's some delay on the satellite. Yeah. You don't really get it like, okay, that's where the fish is. I'm going to go fish for it. It doesn't really work that way. Um, but... We've had some problems with them. Um, they're much more efficient in Florida and on the East Coast where the water's clearer. Mm -hmm. When the fish with the spot tags get into Louisiana or Texas where there's these bait balls and there are lots of sharks and jacks and the water's a little muddier, best we can figure is this thing floats above a tarpon's back a little bit. And it looks, it's about, looks like a fat torpedo. And we think that a shark or something gets in there and sees it and thinks it's a it's a pogey or something and grabs it that. jerks it out <laughs> then it gets jerked out so we they come out tend to come out a little early yeah they stay in a short period of time we had one that um floated um on the beach near port aransas and before we could get somebody down to pick it up it started moving <laughs> and it goes all the way up to dallas and anyway and so it's driving around in this guy's car in dallas you know i hope he's not having an affair because his wife could subpoena the information right <laughs> we're following him everywhere in uh in dallas and so finally um go knock on his door and he goes yeah i got that thing come here and he goes back into the back and uh, he's got this tree and he has all this stuff that he's picked up from the beach over the years, and he's hung it like ornaments on the tree. And sure enough, there's our tag hanging down from a tree limb like a Christmas ornament. <laughs>
that's funny. That's funny. But before we get to, because I want you to talk about the data that and the information you can retrieve from the text, because that's that's really important. But before we do that, let's let's talk about tarpon life history a little bit. Sure. Because I think it's important for people to know just how unique this fish is. And as you know, as you mentioned, they're prehistoric fish. The, their predecessors were around before T. Rex and Triceratops. So they've they've been around a long time, and uh, they're highly adaptable to. Um, you know, very varying salinities, not so much temperature, but certainly salinity. So, um, you feel comfortable walking us through that? Sure. Okay. I mean, uh, you, you want to talk about a life cycle? Is that yeah. What, okay. Yeah. Well, for years there was some confusion about whether or not tarpon spawn like redfish, you know, in estuaries and things like that, and then go back offshore. And I think the consensus is is now based on the science that we've, you know, found, figured out is that tarpon actually spawn in deep water. And some of our tags, the PAT tags, have been really instrumental in, in maybe explaining to us why that happens. Um, because some of the bigger females, uh, tarpon, male tarpon never grow as big as females, okay? So anytime you get a fish over 140, 140 pounds, you know that's likely a female. Um, I think the largest male ever ever caught was and, and examined and that verified was about a 130 to a 140. So anything over 140 is usually a female. Mm-hmm. So we've tagged some fish that are 180, 190 weight. So we know they're females. And and in the spring, in May and June, um, they will go out and we'll get these tag readings where they go down to 600 feet of water. Well, you know, why would a tarpon go that deep? The only thing that we can think of is they're going off to the continental shelf, which is where we know they're spawning. And they're doing these deep dives in an effort some way to either make the eggs mature or something like that. We don't we don't know for sure, but we think that that's, that's part of it. Um, Sounds like flounder. That's literally <laughs> Shane and I are, are looking at each other right now and, yeah. and nodding with flounder. So yes. keep going. Keep going. So, um, and then the larvae come out, and they spend probably uh, some time in the Gulf Stream uh, drifting around. And, and they're the, unique. And they're unique. They look like a they look like a eel more than they do a fish. Yep. And then either through storms or whatever other process, probably tropical storms have a large large component to this, that the storm surge or whatever pushes them onto the on into the estuaries, at which point they they then metamorphosize into what looks like a fish and they grow up for the first uh, year or so in uh, brackish waters a lot of the times in areas that are almost stagnant and their diet during that period of time is often insects Um, and tarpon have a structure in their body that allows them to use their swim bladder almost as a lung yeah Um, that's avalar avalar i think it's it's inside the bladder right and and that's why they can that's you know they that's why they gulp air and they roll and they do the things they do yeah and so when they're young they're utilizing that literally to breathe Mm -hmm. in brackish water and then as they get older um they then move out into you know bays and a little larger estuaries and they switch over to fin fish as as their main forage and then once they get even bigger, then they get out into the migratory pass where they're not only using bays and estuaries, they're also getting out into the Gulf and they're swimming great distances. Um, and that's probably motivated as much as anything by, by you know, prey. Yeah. Um, and when you're a 200-pound tarpon, it takes a lot to get you fat. And so they go places like, you know, the mouth of the Mississippi River. Why? Because it's just a Luby's grocery store. You mm-hmm. know? And it's, it's so... So, and tarpon live, you know, their age is, is 
you know, uh, pretty amazing. They live up to um, what we confirmed at least 80 years. Uh, we know that they get up to that age, and, and there are various ways to tell that. But there was a tarpon in a in a um, in a uh, aquarium up in, in the Chicago. Shed, shed aquarium. Yeah, and that fish I think lived 70 plus years <laughs> before it died. It jumped out of the tank and died ultimately. Now, Scott, there's some guys listening to this right now, and some of them I know because I fish in the same vicinity areas that have caught. Let's just t- talk on the upper co- Texas coast because this could be any any coastline in sure. the Gulf. But San Bernard, um, they could probably get up into, let's just call it what it is, the Trinity, up Chocolate Bayou, um, the, Bra- the Brazos River. I mean, how long do those fish, in your opinion, stay in those estuaries where maybe they have access to a little bit warmer water or a little safety for if there's a freeze like we saw here in 2018? I mean, how long do you think? I mean, because I've seen some pictures of these guys and some of these fish are 36 or so inches and at what point are those fish going to decide hey it's time to go to the bay or it's time to go offshore i think well one of the things we've we've learned and it's actually been really surprising some of the bigger fish we've even tagged in florida we found out are spending large amounts of time and we're talking 150 plus fish in rivers that are freshwater rivers that nobody knew they were even in there in florida and you kind of you become shocked thinking oh my gosh i mean long if people lived in florida and all this and these fish are getting in these rivers they're probably doing it as loners to some degree but so i think the fish use those rivers throughout their lives at different different at different times but but your smaller fish they're going to come in and out the really small fish the 12 to 14 inches they probably live in those rivers and they live in that fresher water they're fewer predators all those things once they get up to to you know three feet they're probably coming in and out of those systems and then once they get up to four and five feet they're probably spending less and less time and more and more time in the gulf but you know we've been to nicaragua and we've been a hundred miles from the Atlantic, the Caribbean coast, and freshwater San Juan River that has fresher water than tap water in in um, in Miami, and we're catching 180 pound tarpon, and literally in rapids. I mean, they're rolling in you know rapids, and it's it's pretty spectacular. But these fish are coming all the way from um, the Caribbean to get in there to eat, and they're eating little sardines up in that uh, up in that river, and and they're they're having to traverse multiple areas that are really fast water to get to where mm-hmm. they want to be and they're coming in and they're coming out um and some of the fish we we've tagged a fish in the san juan river and um i don't know a week later it was off the coast of costa rica so, give, give these wow. people an idea because you're you're bouncing off some central america countries i mean sure. how far south or i mean will are tarpon all the way down into i mean all the way down into south america brazil yeah yeah so central Central South American. Central South America. All the way up to Virginia, Gulf of Mexico, Caribbean Sea. And they're also on the other side of the Atlantic in Africa, right? Yeah, but they don't tend to get north of Africa. Okay. Uh, The Gold Coast of Africa is sort of the furthest north they roam. Although, I mean, you know, a guy caught one in Ireland not too long ago. And are there, because we've had this conversation before, so I want everybody to hear this, are there tarpon in the Pacific? Yes. But they're well. They're two kinds. They're the our kind that came through the Panama Canal, mm-hmm. and that's actually becoming a larger population. And then there's the what's called the Pacific tarpon. And the Pacific tarpon doesn't get more than about two feet long. Okay. Uh, they look they look almost identical. They're a little different, but they look almost identical. But we do have transplants that have come through the Panama Canal, and and um, that population is getting larger. I had a, it's a it's funny you bring that up. About a year ago, I had a conversation with with one of my one of my uh, 
buddies, biologist buddies, and, and we were talking about Pacific tarpon on the coast of Panama. He goes, oh, yeah, they're going. To, they're not spawning over there. They can't spawn over there. So why not? <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, it's just the, the, the water temperatures and the dynamics over there just aren't the same as – they're just not doing it. And I kind of looked at and I said, wait, wait, hang on. Wait a second. They're a living creature. They're going to spawn every chance they get, right? <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh, I don't, that, we don't have any proof of that. We, I don't think that's happening. So then all of a sudden I was on the Internet and I found some picture where somebody had caught a little foot-long tarpon in a river in Panama. And I took the picture and I emailed it to him. And I said, ah, <laughs> so now you got proof. <laughs> said it's happening over there yeah. now too, you know. So uh, so that that's one of the cool things. You know, every time we come up with an assumption that we know something, we learn something new. And, uh, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, y'all been tagging a long time. You've kind of gotten your information. And then I tell them, I said, no, I mean, every time we tag a fish, we learn something we didn't learn before. And this fish does something we didn't know that they were doing. And every time you get something new. I mean, we've had fish that we tagged in, off the west coast of Florida that went all the way up and around uh, Cape Cod and popped off in the Gulf Stream 200 miles off of Cape Cod. And we know it was alive because the data that we're getting back is, is you know showing the fish is swimming up and down in the water column yeah. and we're getting water temperature and light and all that if a tag gets eaten by a shark it goes in the shark's gut and you get no light solid temperature mm -hmm. you get that but this was still active on the fish um shortly before it popped off so and it was hundreds of miles offshore how many how many tarpon are in the bays for these these people that drive little center console when we chase redfish and trout I've seen them jump in West Matagorda Bay. Thousands, uh, I've seen them thousands. thousands. I'd say there are thousands in Texas bays, and people just – they don't – they're not consistent. Um, historically in Texas, we had a lot more when our water was cleaner and, and we had more grass beds and we had all those things. I think we were a lot more similar to – Lots of black and white pictures of them out I there. Know, we had more freshwater river flow into the bay. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that made a huge difference. And we were much – and we it was pre-subsidence too, you yeah. know, on, from petrochemical drilling, mm -hmm. I mean, petrochemical use uh, for, for refineries. Um, so we – subsidence impacted it. Water quality impacted it. All those things, I think, impacted it. It's not just one factor. I think it's a multitude mm -hmm. of factors um, that impacted it. But we were a lot like Florida, you know, back then. And we're not anymore. Um, the fish come in and out of the bay in different, at different times and different ways. There's, you know, we've toyed about doing some research on that. Uh, so we've had tags off of uh, the middle Texas coast. Uh, I tagged a fish um, that was about a one, I think it was about a 140. Um, and two weeks later, it showed up in the Matagorda Bay system, right where we expected it to, sort of, sort of. It was a little far off, of where, a little bit off of where we thought it was going to be. Where, where, where'd you tag it? We tagged it off the middle Texas coast. Okay. Off the middle Texas coast. And it went, um, it went into the bay system. Uh, we were a little shocked for the time of the year that it did it, but it did it. Um, and it stayed there. It stayed there for about three days, and then the tag came off early. And it was one of those spot tags. Yeah. Um, so we know it was on the fish. It was rolling. The fish was moving, and um, and then it came off early for you know who knows whatever reason. I don't, I think we I think that was one we never ended up getting back. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah. So um, I think they come into the bay a lot more frequently than we think. Um, we've had fish that were tagged off the the big Matagorda jetties down outside of Port O'Connor. We've seen them go in and out of the bay during a single night. They'll go in the bay system and then come back out. And so there's probably a lot of that transient movement that comes in and out of that bay that we're not 
we're not fully aware of. But you know, I've had guides in front of Pascavallo that have seen, you know, a thousand fish coming out of that bay in one day over the over the bars on the pass. And, and I think that's probably true anywhere on the Texas coast. Uh, the best we, time to catch them rolling in the first first light, first thing in the no, morning. No, no, it 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 varies. Um, their times early mornings good. Their times late afternoons good. Um, for it's me, w- it's when you're not there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. Really, for me, my my favorite time is probably between nine a.m. and two. Okay, in the day, it's a midday fish as much as anything. Uh, usually after two, you know, you're getting you're getting sea breezes and things like that, and it's a little harder to see. Yeah. And tarpon's a sight fishing game as much as it is. What would you else. What would you tell an angler that's listening to this right now that goes, "I want to catch a tarpon"? Hire a guide. Hire a guide. Period. There's, okay. there's a huge learning curve in tarpon fishing. Uh, after I went with Mike Williams on my first trip, I probably didn't catch another tarpon for four years, three or four years. Um, there's a huge learning curve. Um, Go with a guide. Don't go just once. You're not going to learn everything you want one time. The best thing to do is hire a guide. Go with them multiple times. Learn as much as you can. Ask lots of questions. And hopefully he'll be a little forthcoming. Um, and the more you go with him, with a guide, typically the more forthcoming they'll be. Um, the most important thing with tarpon fishing is you don't want to screw it up. And that's the biggest problem um, is people that don't know what they're doing and don't have a concept. Tarpon, because of their big swim bladder, um, have a real propensity to be um, noise-averse. And so noise of any kind can disturb them. Um, then there are times you can be as noisy as you want, and you don't bother them. But, and it's hard to say, you know, sometimes they're so spooky, anything, anything at all will get them moving. Um, Even, and this is because I know the answer to this, but I want everyone to hear this. I have a trolling motor on my boat. I should be able to sneak up on a on yeah. A trolling or... motors are fine. It's okay. just don't the the misconception is usually I got a four stroke. It's quiet. I can get up on them. It's not the engine noise that's bothering them in most outboards. It's the it's the gears, and the gears are kicking. Uh, the gears are kicking a whining noise out in the water, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't like it. And look, I've I've trolled with outboards when I've had to, and I haven't had trolling motors, and it just doesn't work. And I know lots of people who've done it. And if you want a tarpon fish effectively, you want to either do it with an inboard, gas inboard preferably. You can do it with diesels, but um, gas inboard preferably, and, or you want to use a, a trolling motor just to be quiet. Um, and I've, I've seen guys catch them off the jetties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a great fish caught off of uh, St. Louis Pass Pier, I think, or maybe it was the T head in Galveston at one point. Yeah, that was um, a state record. Yeah, state record. Former and so, state record. So there's some. Yeah, 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 that's right. So. So there is access for anglers that do not have boats or maybe not want to um, maybe use a guide. Um, it, what's a piece of advice you could tell that angler that may be listening to this that wants to, wants to if try If you want to go tarpon fishing and you don't want to go with a guide, and you, you know, the tarpon are also, I've heard them called the poor man's marlin. Okay. Uh, because you can catch them from the beach, you can catch them from a pier, you can catch them wherever, and they're big. Um, so And they jump a lot. So. Uh, if you were going to try to do that on your own, the two prime areas I would go is either Bob Hall Pier mm-hmm. uh, or go down to um, the jetties um, at, at, Braz- at, at, um, at Brownsville. Brownsville. Oh, Brownsville. Brownsville. All the way down All there. the way down there. Um, they have a better population and access on that jetty, I think. So what is it, Brazos-Santiago Pass? Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. 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 So I'd go down there. Um, and 
or go to Bob Hall Pier. Those are probably the two key spots. I've got a big mirror lure with lots of hooks on it. <laughs> Everybody told me this was a great mirror lure to throw for tarpon. Sure it is. Why don't you like those? Because they come unbuttoned too easily. <laughs> <laughs> you know the answer to this. I know the answer, but there's 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 people listening to this right, right now sure. that that don't know the you answer. You need few and that's, bra- as few break points as possible, right? Right. 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 Well, you know, tarpon jumps, and they usually jump immediately after they get hooked, and their mouth is about as hard as a concrete slab, and so finding a spot for a hook to sink in, there are a few key spots you know what we call a button at the at the very front top nose of the fish um is one of the key spots and the problem with treble hooks is you're going to get a bite on them but then they got that lure to thrash around and try to get unhooked and they're Mm going to jump a lot and um it's harder to keep them hooked with treble hooks and a lot of times even with like mirror lures and those those lures you got to change the hooks out because the hooks that are coming in the box were never really made for a tarpon, right? And so you got to you got to beef up the beef up the hooks. To and, make it and, work. F- and for people that are listening, keep in mind it's it's the old science trick. Can you walk across a, a crate of of Coke bottles, glass Coke bottles? You know you can't do one because it can't hold your weight. But the same theory stands true. If you walked across a dozen of them, all of them are holding up. Well, think of three treble hooks, three prongs trying to get into a fish's mouth, right. opposed to a single hook. You actually have less pressure, uh, hence you can actually get a better hookup yeah. with a single hook. And you're dealing with a fish with a very hard mouth. I've I've I've, I've jumped a bunch. <laughs> I've landed a yeah. few, um, but the ones that I have landed are on single hooks, not on trebles. But I know there's lots of great looking lures out there that catch fishermen. They don't always land. Well, they, you know, I mean, a lot of people, fun parts, watching them jump a couple times. They don't want to get in the long yeah. battle, so that ain't such a bad thing. I don't want to grab one with a mouthful of treble hooks either. No, trying to get him unhooked, but no, that's, that's just me. The, that's the other thing. You don't want to do that. Do color matter on those uh, tarpon lures you throw at them? Yeah, um, and that's another thing that science has, has taught us, which is kind of cool. Um, some biologists have done some research into the eyeballs on tarpon. And what they found is is that uh, when tarpon are young and they're living in nasty, dirty water, their eyes are are composed of rods and cones, such that which are the cells in the backs of your eyes, mm-hmm. um, such that you can they can differentiate between light and dark objects better. And so when you're in dirty water and you want to bite something as prey, it's going to be a dark object in that water, right? So it, their eyeballs sort of tend to focus on that a little more, and they're more sensitive for it. As they get older and older and older and get into clearer and clearer waters, um, the receptors and the cells in their eyes change. And they've actually gone in and they've counted, and they said, okay, well, what colors in a tarpon's eye have the most, sen- you know, what cells are what are the numbers of cells for a particular color that are the most numerous in a tarpon's eye, which would mean the ones they can see better, right? Yeah. Um, they have a huge ultraviolet spectrum. Yeah, they have five cones. We have three. They have right. five, so they can see into that UV Is spectrum. this only tarpon, or do other fish have this, Shane? Other fish have more cones. Other fish can see. More than five cones? No, more than three. More than three. Yeah, okay. Right. And, um, and so... What we've learned is they can see into the ultraviolet. We don't know what that does for them. We don't know if because tarpon's eyes are set on top of their head, and we know they're and the way they attack bait fish is generally from below and behind, right? Uh, because of where their eyes are on their head. So is that ultraviolet light that they're sensing allow them to identify their prey behind the backdrop of sunlight better? 
or is it that the bait fish that they're going after emit some kind of ultraviolet light or reflect ultraviolet light more than others? Um, we know that some freshwater, I don't know that anybody's ever paid any attention to whether Menhaden do it, but there's some freshwater shad and perch and stuff that, that actually reflect ultraviolet light more. And so the question is, is, is that part of it? We, we just don't know the answer to that. Um, so as the tarpon's eyes change, they start picking up more of that ultraviolet, more blue, but the most and the, the highest um, sensitivity is green. And so people have told me, well, that makes no sense because, you know, they like, you know, what we call tarpon green water, right? They go, well, that doesn't make any sense because they're in tarpon green. Wouldn't that just make a blind all the time? Mm-hmm. I said, no. What it means is it means that if anything different, they're going to see it better. You know, it's like it's it's whitewashing out the background, and they're going to focus on anything that doesn't look like that. Um, but, you know, when it comes to lure colors, uh, um, chartreuse is a popular color, and it's in the green range. Um, orange is a real popular color, even though orange dissipates in water quicker. Which yeah, is I wouldn't kind think of, orange and red would be that. Is it, that it's color. kind of a weird. That's it's kind of a weird deal, but it does. And orange is a very good color uh, for some reason. Um, and then what I've found in the last few years is blue, a dark ultraviolet blue, uh, a midnight blue almost is just a freaking hot color, especially in clear water. It's just it's on fire. They'll eat it. I mean, when I look at the baits on my boat, which bait color disappears quicker it's the blue ones because you know you're the the spectrum of light that penetrates the deepest are your greens and your, and your blues so right. it makes sense that they can see those better than your reds and your right. stuff that gets filtered off higher in the water column right so. yeah all right so let's we've talked that let's ask let me ask you the question let's talk about um dead bait sure i know some people will grab a mullet maybe grab a ribbon fish they drift, they've drifted for kingfish before, but they, they saw tarpon at the mouth of the Brazos, the mouth of a jetties, and they want to go out and drift some baits. Great what idea. Kind of, what kind of success are they going to have? Uh, I know they're going to catch some sharks. Yeah. You'll, you'll definitely catch your share of sharks. But when they do this, I mean, give me a brief example of a quick setup that they can quickly set up just on this. I mean, the elevator speech you would give them. Well, you want to give – you want to use uh, – in tarpon fishing – the most important thing is to have a rod with a lot of backbone in it. Um, flexible tip is actually really good, especially if you're casting, but a flexible tip generally is good in the first place because uh, a lot of times you're going to be using circle hooks. That's primary, especially if you're using bait, that's going to be primarily what you're going to use. Um, we use them too on lures. And we can get into that in a little bit, but um, circle hooks a preference. It seems, seems to set up better and because it's a circle hook. It seems to hold better. So uh, it seems from, over time, it seems that rods with more flexible tips tend to give enough to allow that hook to roll around in a fish's mouth and hook up. It just seems to, they seem to work better. So a big six-foot boat rod with all rollers, probably not the best fit because I've no, done some. No, probably not, okay. but uh, depending on what you're, what you're doing it for. I mean, if you're I'm trolling drifting, and we can get into trolling I'm later. drifting for tarpon. If you're drifting, you probably just need a good kingfish-style rod, okay. um, 30 to 50 weight type rod with a lot of backbone in it um, you need a reel that's going to hold 300 yards a line mm-hmm. um, and uh, and at least 30 pound test um, preference would be go to 40 50 can be a little heavy um, not for drifting dead bait but you can't cast with it so right. um, but if you're going to if you're going to just go tarpon fishing and and you're just going to drift bait then you know 50 pounds great that's a great line okay um, 
uh, for bait, you want to use mono. Fluorocarbon leader is the best if you want to fork over for it. What um, pound test? Uh, the leaders, uh, depending on water clarity, you'll get lots of different answers from different people. In Florida, they use super light because the water's so clear and the fish are seeing it. Off the Texas coast, you can get away with 150, even 200-pound hmm. liter material. Um, 100, 125 is probably fine in that in that range. Um, you'll probably get more hookups. The problem is you don't want to tarpon to to get working on that and chafing that um, the leader material and having it break on you. So I've got my line. main line. I've got a swivel. I've got a circle hook at the end. Right. I, I know ballpark. You want the circle hook pretty good size, maybe around the size of your palm or your hand. Yeah, 14 know, to rev- 16. Okay. And do I add weight on there when I drift that? No. Okay. When you're drifting, Just, you don't. You want de- you want no weight. Um, if if there's not much wind, you want to keep it off the bottom some. Mm-hmm. Um, so tying a balloon somewhere on your line. And if you're drifting multiple baits, you're going to want to move the balloon up and down and, and drift them at, at different different uh, heights in the water column. But, yeah, a balloon's a great thing because then when the fish jumps, the balloon pops, comes off, whatever. And, um, and you're not fighting the balloon too. Um, so that's the setup so that when the fish hits, all you've got is a fish on the end and that's it. Okay. Um, if you're fishing passes or in, in along the jetties, you're going to want to use some weight. Um, the best way to do it is probably a breakaway style weight. You can rig them with rubber bands. You can rig them with lots of different systems to try to get the weight. To how much it. weight? Depends on the water and how the speed of it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're in a in a pass and you're getting two and three and four knots current, you might want to get the bait on the bottom. And the in the passes in in those areas, a lot of times you want the bait on the bottom because mm-hmm. those fish will take it off the bottom. Um, even all, even more readily, I think, than they will up in the water column. So okay. for closer to the bottom, the better. So you want to you want to use weight as much as six ounces if you have to to get the thing down so six I've, or eight ounces. So I've actually, um, and this is uh, we're drawing up a scenario for everybody. I've weeded through all the sharks because if you don't think you're catching a shark by doing this, <laughs> you're 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 crazy. You're going to catch a lot of sharks. Right. I I catch a tarpon. I hook him. I actually hook the fish, and I've got him both side. What do I do now? What's the best thing for this fish that I know I'm not keeping because there's a size limit on these and you need to understand what the size limit is and the regulations are in the state of Texas, which recently changed. Yep. But what's the best thing for to do? Because I want to show everybody I caught this fish, but I know I'm going to release it. Leave it in the water, lean over, and take a picture with it. Don't well, take the fish out of the water. Don't take the fish out of the water. But this is a 200-pound fish, Scott and Shane. I want to pick it up and put it on a lip gaff and show everybody at the top of my boat what happens to that fish when, when I do that? Most important thing is what's going to happen to you on Twitter when you do <laughs> <I know>. it. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone another website that yeah, we all know of. That we all know about. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get shamed, tarpon shamed to death. Tarpon shamed. Uh, tarpon <laughs> shaming. Um, you want to leave it in the water. Um, what research has been done on that has shown that, that, that when you pull a tarpon out of the water, his gut's and all his internal organs are going to get stressed. Yeah, they jump, and people go, well, they're jumping. They are, they can be out of the water. It's a lot different when you're jumping out of the water and landing in the water than you are being dragged on the deck of a boat. It's very different. Um, the survival rate really just plummets when you pull them up out of the water. So leave them in the water, grab them by the lower mouth, and if you're using something other than your massive treble hook rig um, with a circle hook, it's not a problem. Usually grab them by the bottom lip. And, and hang on. Um, I'll tell you, if you've never landed a large tarpon and you've caught a hundred, you catch a 150 pound fish and you get him next to the boat, um, depending on how green he is and how, how, um, 
how much you've worked on him. Um, he's formidable, and, and when you reach down and grab him, he's gonna he's gonna jump, and um, he's probably gonna jump in your face and get you wet and do all those other things. Gonna get uh, tail whipped. Yeah, so you got to be a little you know be a little cautious, be a little careful. But once you get a hold of him and you got a good hold on him, uh, just leave him in the water. Have your angler lean over, take a picture with him, pull a scale on him if you want to. It doesn't hurt the fish to do that. And and uh, then the important part's arriving them, and I know that's probably going to be your follow-up question. Well, it's, it's uh, the important part's arriving them, and, and how do you do that? Well, the uh, best thing is to drag them through the water slowly. You don't want to go six knots because that's probably too fast. You're going to fill up a swim bladder or whatever else. Um, you, you best about a knot and a half, two knots. Drag them a little slow through the water. Get him upright. Get him vertical. Get his tail kicking. Get him biting your hand. And, you know, after a minute or so, maybe it's a couple of minutes, depending on how long the fight is. longer the fight, the longer you need to hang on to him. Um, get them to where they're, they're swimming away strong or, or you know, they're kicking uh -huh. their tail good. And then release them vertically. Don't release them sideways. Try to get them to where they're released vertically, and they'll just swim right down. And, and So put their head off. down. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let them let – them, yeah, right. Okay. You want to get them vertical. You want their backs up and their bellies down and yeah. get them straight up and down as much as you can okay, so that when they swim off, they, they're swimming off vertical. If, they'll, if they roll over, they get kind of catatonic like a shark if they roll up over on their backs. And there are a lot of times, you know, you can't you, – everything you do, you do it right, and they still do they that. Still. They'll roll over. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll back up on the fish and we'll – take a tag stick or even a type tip of a rod and just poke him in the tail and it like wakes wake up, up. Yeah. and they flip around and take off and go Good. down so uh, so parks and wildlife says 85 inches on mm -hmm. one if you decide to keep one perfectly legal you're allowed sure. to retain one is it one per boat or one per angler uh i don't think there's a well uh, i think it's a it is one per day i think is right. the, uh, per angler yeah so and, and so 85 inches measured at the fork of the tail or all the way to the tip of the tail it's, well that's that's where one of the things came in you know texas is kind of an oddball state because we measure to the tip of the tail yeah mm -hmm. and when the 85 was estimated as the right size for the tarpon to kill right um i think the intent was fork length but it came out total length mm -hmm. so you know, you need a fish that's a little bit bigger than 85 inches at the tail to to think you're going to have a record. I right. mean, you need to you need to be up towards 90, sure, um, and to make sure that you're, you're and, big enough. And an 85 inch fish measured to the fork. What pound fish are we looking at for a fish? That, so that's a 200 pound 200. class fish. That's right around 200. And what was the state record that was just? Uh, I don't know what it came in at. It was, was two just last twenty summer. something. I think. Who got that? Um, Give him a shout out. I can't think you know of his name. I, I, he, 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 his son is actually who caught it, and he did retain it. Um, you know, it's it's it was perfectly legal fish. I know we took a little bit of a, a sawsome chatter, but the fact of the matter is, that was beautiful fish. It was really cool to see that actually come. But that was over. It was over two ten. I think it was closer to two fourteen, or was it actual two twenty fish? Maybe do some fact was, checking here. Yeah, Shane's yeah. fact Shane's checking. Shane's fact checking. Us. And that that where was that caught? That fish was caught Gal off. Galveston. It was off caught Galveston. off Galveston. Yeah. So I mean, Michael Rue. LaRue. I knew it started with an L. Yeah, he's caught some That's it. huge fish lately. I yeah. knew I'd remember it. just took me a second. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I'm getting I mean, older. It was cool it's to see slowing that. Down. I, I didn't have a problem with someone that actually caught a fish like that and brought it to the scale. It was really cool to be able to see it. Because every time you see one of those fish come up, it piques the interest of all the – because tarpon is such a, a – it's a fish that 
you know, when you focus on it, you can get very discouraged very easily. Sure. So it's neat to see the resurgence of interest within a fish like that. And so I get excited about it when you do see the occasional one actually shown, whether it's off the tee here, uh, the the tee or, or or his fish. I thought it was cool. I was yeah, stoked. but I often wonder if it actually does achieve those goals to the level that you're thinking. I, I mean, I mean, it'll, I get re- it. it'll resonate with you or me, folks that are in the right. industry. But I don't know how broad of appeal it is to. I don't know if it's bringing new conservationists and new anglers into the right. Field. I mean, to the listeners, you do not need that fish to do a mount. You can do a beautiful fiberglass mount that'll last longer. Um, there is somebody that's actually doing one. Um, an artist who does a an artist one of the actual size and dimensions. I mean, the the he's he can do one thirty feet long if you tell him to, and he'll send you the paper. I mean, it's actually yeah. very cool that he puts the artist's name. I think they're called Fish Print uh, Shop. And so I've had a couple of uh, fish done. They've done life size uh, prints on redfish and trout, and they could do flounder. But they have every just about every species you can think of. So you don't necessarily have to have the mount if you're not big into that. And they put the angler's name where it was caught in the date. That's a neat alternative yeah. to an actual yeah. mount. Um, and there's other really unique ways. I've seen some really great artwork that have come out um, around not just tarpon, but I mean all species. Right. But there's other alternatives out there that uh, could go really nice in modern day decor. Doesn't actually have to go in the man cave anymore. Maybe the wife will let us hang it up. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I, you know, I don't fault anybody for killing a big fish like that. I mean, right. I don't know really how you can. Now, it's all personal choice. Everybody's got to make that personal choice yeah. when they got the fish by the side of the boat. Mm-hmm. I think in this instance, it was Mike's son that caught the fish. It was, it was Larue's yeah. son that yep. caught the fish. And and um, I mean, you know, taking your kid and having it. I mean, come on. That that's. I mean, I don't know. Maybe hey. I'll start playing the lottery, but <laughs> right. um, that, that's, a, that's a heck of a deal. I don't fault him one second. And when you think about the life cycle of a tarpon, okay, I mean, this is why it's so important to release the fish. I mean, just sort of – I'm sure there's a biological way to think about it, but it's definitely different than the way I think about it. The, the, the you know, dumb angler way to think about it is this. Is this is fish that live 70 years, right? And so it's a – that female tarpon to make the species constant has to have two offspring, a male and a female that survive to be the same age, right? That, mm-hmm. that keeps the population constant. Well, when you think about it, um, tarpon every year, a mature tarpon is dumping out 2 million eggs every year. So out of, and you multiply that times, you know, 40 years, you know, think how many eggs you got and only right. two of them are going to survive. The statistics are stacked way yeah. against the fish. And if you take one of those female fish that's a big female fish out of the population, it's like a domino effect. You've now taken, you know, tens of millions of eggs out of the equation that it would have been going for a number of years. And so what impact is that going to have long term on the population? And it's it's going to, but then again, you know, sharks eat them, and other there are other predators out there that are taking them out of the system too. And what impact does man have? Probably not much in the grand scheme of things. There are probably more biological and environmental issues that have a greater impact on them than us. But well, you say man, you mean angler impact? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's further than that too. I mean, we there's commercial catch that's down in mexico true. yeah and uh, commercial catch people are commercial fishing for tarpon not oh. for tarpon not intentionally it's a okay. bycatch and um 
there's probably some intentional commercial fishing for them. No, there's a, there's places where there's a market for yeah, it in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, they're, the tarpon row is marketed in Mexico, so when you call it a bycatch, it's not really a true my, bycatch. My first tarpon was actually um, um, in Cancun, actually, the bay behind it, So, um, which he told me I did that. And, did it taste good? Uh, no, we released it. So, But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I made sure we released it, but uh, he told me May's is prime time down there where he catches yeah. his big ones. I mean, mine was only, you know, maybe 48, 50 inches. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, I mean, it was a blast. I yeah, mean, well, I mean, you know, when you talk about fish in along our Gulf Coast, um, the larger fish winter in the south and the warmer waters and come up in the summer and and, and even into the fall into, into the mouth of Mississippi and along both sides of the Gulf of Mexico. So our fish are transiting down into mexico no doubt so things and behaviors and activities that happen in mexico have a direct impact on our mm-hmm. population there's just no ifs ands or buts about it any fish go over to cuba yeah well we know they're fishing cuba we don't know what the interaction between cuba and the populations in the gulf of mexico and on the atlantic are um clearly a large number of fish start showing large fish start showing up in the spring and mm-hmm. the keys um, where did they come from is the magic question. Some of them probably from areas in the lower keys. They probably bunch up. They're probably more scatters. There are probably lots of different factors. Um, Cuba certainly has some fish. And, you know, we don't know what key element and how they fit into that equation uh, yet. Uh, hopefully with the opening up of Cuba a little bit, we can do some more research down there. But hmm. obviously doing any research in Cuba is a – complicated process to say the least you've experienced a little bit of that haven't you well no not really not personally but um you know i've had some guys that want have wanted to go down there and satellite tag and it's it's the red tape is beyond belief to try to make it happen you mean the communist country doesn't want you to bring satellites into <laughs> satellite their country tag. from the u.s <laughs> yeah i'm sure they not saying, okay what is that what are you gonna do with that hmm. uh, so, yeah so what else do do we information are we able to get from these tags? Depth, dip, distance. You mentioned turbidity. I assume salinities. Yeah. You uh, get, temperatures. You, temperatures. Yeah. So you put all you compile and, all that together. We and also get of, we also get location even on the right. pop off tags because the sun setting and the sun rising and you can do some calculations and determine where you think that tag is. Yeah, it's somewhat accurate um, depending on water clarity. It, you get a better reading at times but and satellites and how many satellites are up and things like that um but you get a um you get a pretty good idea within probably 75 to 100 miles on the pat tags the spot tags are are much more efficient um but then again it also has to do with with um, how many satellites are up so for example when we've had we've had more than one tag land on the beach and be driven places mm-hmm. and uh, we had one that ended up somewhere in in central texas and so we start getting pings on the tag and it's you know it, it starts looking like a looking like a spaghetti bowl before it's over with well you start spinning all those spaghetti and well you go right to the middle and it's probably in the middle so you get the you, there's some variance to you don't get exact dead spot on locations you can but most of the time the satellites aren't in the right position or don't link up right so so you can average it out and figure it out on the spot tags Uh, is all the satellite information on your website yes sir now you're asking for this i'm just i mean some of the some of the anglers are listening to this (laughs) right now what is that yeah Yeah, yeah, that website again um the international tarpon conservation association website is called itarpon.org 
itarpon.org. itarpon.org. And we have on the website, you can go to some of the satellite links that, uh, for the satellite research. There's some links for like Gulf of Mexico and Caribbean, and you can actually go and see. We have plotted out some of the tracks of some of the tagging that we've done on the satellite tags that you can you can go and look at and see where the fish went and it's cool and times of the year and things like that yeah so we've got caribbean we've got the, some of the nicaragua data is up there um we've got stuff from the east coast of florida the west coast of florida texas uh louisiana we got quite a bit of data up there if you want to go take a look at it and how do they join if they want to join international tarpon conservation go through the website you can donate um we have different levels of donation and and you know like a lot of places you'll get koozies or hats or shirts or whatever based on the level of donation that you get and if mm-hmm. you know when you want to call us or email us if you want to make a large donation you can do that um but again you know the intent behind that is is to be a resource for graduate students and other biologists that want to do tarpon research to come to us and say you know hey i need some extra funds to try to do some research this is the project and the idea behind it is okay well we'll you know we'll help you and assist you but when you're done with your research we want it published and we're going to make it public and we're going to get it out to the angling public because when i started tar- yep. when i started learning about tarpon fishing or when i got really interested in tarpon fishing trying to learn about tarpon you could spend literally months sitting on the internet trying to collect you know, information from various sources to try to figure out, you know, hey, you know, why is the tarpon here this day and not here? Some, you know, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? And it would take you hours and hours and hours to try to gather that information. And so one of the things we wanted was a resource that if an angler is going to contribute to a nonprofit organization like us, um, I want them to be assured that that money is going to be spent for research. It's going to go to research and like, you know, we don't do permit. We don't do bonefish. If you're interested in tarpon, we're doing tarpon research. That's what we're doing. It's not going anywhere else. It's going to go to tarpon. And then, you know, they want to know what was the result of my money. You know, what was the result of the sur- the research that was done? And we want to be able to get it back out to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe everybody can become a better angler or, or whatever. Um, and to me, that has always been a big important thing i've traveled all over the world tarpon fishing and i see how it's done in different ways and in different places um and the one thing that i've learned from doing all that is you can take 20 guys 20 boats that know how to tarpon fish and everybody can catch fish you make it 21 with one guy that doesn't have a clue what he's doing and nobody catches fish so it's important that that people learn, and the only way they're going to learn is through communication. So I, I don't, I do worry. There's a lot of tarpon anglers get stressed out about the numbers of boats and the numbers of people on fish, and there is somewhat of a factor of that. But if you work cooperatively, I think it helps everybody, and communication I think is the key to that. Um, and you don't want that one guy showing up that doesn't know what he's doing and ruining it. And so communication is important and learning and getting ahead on that curve so you know what you're doing and what not to do so you don't do it wrong and you do it right. And um, I, think that's, I think that's a key to the sport that, that I hope, you know, we've fostered over the years in some areas of Texas. Um, and the hope was that that continue and, and – and I think through the angling public in general, because we've got to learn one thing is that we're either going to have to learn to regulate ourselves or somebody's going to force us. That's and, true. And we have a choice. 
And if we don't learn how to do it right on our own, then somebody's going to come down and, and we're not going to be happy with the decisions that people make. Yeah, Never are. Mm-mm. Let's back up real quick because I don't. if you mentioned it, I missed it. What Brian and, and Scott, you kind of walked us through the gear set up and what you should use, but I don't think we said exactly. We I missed the portion of what lure to use. <laughs> is, is that I, I don't, look uh, uh, well. No, no. I, I I on purposely. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't I want to push the situation. I mean, every every tarpon fisherman has their own. Okay, maybe not the one you use, Scott. No, no, no. One I, you've I, seen I, other no, people no, use. No, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Um, <laughs> uh, we uh, I've put things on Scott's boat that he won't ever let me bring on his boat again. But we've yeah, definitely I'll, I'll tried. I'll look at him and go, "What are you thinking?" <laughs> we don't know if we don't try them. Scott. Yeah, we don't know unless we try it. Right. Um, that has all you know. I think the evolution of of lures and tarpon fishing has come a long way from over the years. Um, back in the 90s early 90s um on a whim i picked up and went over to louisiana to go tarpon fishing i read an article in saltwater sportsman and thought yeah i want to go try that so we went over there and did it for for a week and i gathered a lot of information over there and one of them was a lure that they had started using in in louisiana called the coon pop it's invented by a guy named lance nicknames coon schwest um, which is basically a circle hook with a lead jig head strapped to the bottom of it, either with a wire or a zip tie or something like that. His original ones were with flexible wire that you could wrap around the shank of the hook. Mm-hmm. And then you just stick a, a soft plastic tail on the end of the jig head. Um, as I mentioned before, tarpon tend to feed below and behind their bait. And so when they're looking up at that lure, they're not seeing anything but the jig head and the tail. And so they come up and they eat it, and then as they jump, the idea is the jig head comes off, the weight comes off, and you're just fighting the fishes if you caught them on bait. Um, so let me be clear. You you are tying directly to a circle hook. Correct. Right? With a leader. With a leader. Right. And, so, and then we take, let's just take a two-ounce jig head where we we've, where it used to have a hook on there, but we actually we leave the straight shank come off, and we actually cut the hook off, so it's just a straight shank Correct. come off. I, I feed a plastic piece on there. It has no hook. Correct. Okay, and then I strap this jig head with the the plastic towel, or let's call it what it is, and then I I zip tie it to the circle hook. You, but today, that's the preferred method is zip tying. Okay. Um, but in Louisiana, when it started, it was all the they would pour the lead head with a wire coming out of it, and they'd strap the wire around the a couple around wraps. The, yeah, around the shank okay. of the around the shank of the hook. Um, yeah, and that's that's the general process. You can make them at home. Just buy a jig head and, and take a pair of bolt cutters and hack right. the hook off and and do it that way. Um, or you can buy a lure. Um, I mean, I I make lures and sell them uh, as well. Uh, Bucketmouth Jigs is the dot com is the website. And uh, I just plugged in Coon C O O N P O P J I G all three words, and I hit images on online on my phone, and I got a lot of images. If you're trying to picture this in your your head, and there's there's probably some pretty good colors on there. Some je- suggestions. Um, yeah, some of those were taken out on my boat actually. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, and I knew this. But, I didn't uh, take them, but other people did. Yeah, there's a picture. The first picture you had is a picture of Lance Coonshwest holding up the holding up one of the original ones. 
Um, I'm just trying to give – it's very hard to paint the picture for everyone, you know, on, on that's listening in on the Scott, podcast. What, what so. was your website again? Your uh, for the Lures? Yeah. Bucketmouthjigs.com. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, anyway, um, yeah, and so I picked those up over in Louisiana and then brought the process back over here to Texas, and I, I think I can honestly say that I was the first person to ever use a coon pop in the state of Texas. And uh, first time I put one in the water, I caught a tarpon. So uh, <laughs> that pretty awesome. much convinced me they work here too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, actually I caught two that day. Um, so, uh, But the fish throws the jig head off. You're yeah. just left with the hook and uh, it's gone. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Now, um, and typically you can use mono. Um, I, in Louisiana, when, and in the way I, there, there are multiple ways to tarpon fish with a lure like that you can cast it a lot of people cast it and you don't when you cast it you don't need to jig it or do what you typically do with like trout lures or whatever else um it's a straight retrieve let it hit the water and you can just straight retrieve it no no action than whatever the lure is doing you can do it but i don't know that it makes a big difference you just hit the water and retrieve it and so it's just running through the water and the fish sees it comes up and hits it um don't set the hook and that's one of the hardest things for people to learn is don't jerk on that. Just hold the rod tip up, let the fish do the rest. Um, and then when the fish jumps, give him slack on a tarpon. You want to give him slack so he doesn't have the ability to pull. Yep, bow to the king is the, that's what is I was the looking saying. For. Um, uh, and give him slack. And then uh, every time they jump, try to give him the slack and then come back tight on him. Now, if you're using a lure, a lot of times we'll use DOAs when we're casting. DOAs are a great lure. The problem with the DOA is the hook that comes in them isn't strong enough. So you probably, and it doesn't have enough weight in the head. So you, it's a delicate process to pull it out and put a new jig head in it. But you can do that, and um, that'll get you more weight. And on How a much casting, weight? Yeah, How much weight? About to get to it. Good. Um, on a casting, casting rod, um, I like two ounces at least because it's going to get the bait down. I know some guys will throw ones, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably fine. And lower down on the coast when you're up against the beach and you're fishing 10, 15 feet of water, that's probably fine. But um, typically I'm going to want two ounces. Two ounces is a pretty good number for casting i uh, see a tarpon i'm in a boat i'm on the jetties i see him and he's moving do i throw right at him scott uh no not necessarily okay and there's uh, of course everything's gonna be it's all real it's all real generally speaking yeah no i mean the fish is going to be either moving right to left and you're going to try to want to anticipate which way he's going and throw one way or the other uh the problem you have and it's, this is true quite often, is, is when a fish is rolling, he may be rolling left to right, but he's really going right to left. He'll come right down in that water column and turn back the other way. And it, you know, it, you're either going to get him or you're not. You're going to be close enough to him or you're not. Um, but outside of casting, the other method of using coon pops is trolling. Mm-hmm. And you can do it with a trolling motor. You can do it with a uh, with an inboard like we have, like I have and I use. Um, and you're pulling multiple baits four to six baits you stagger them out different distances behind the boat we can do a whole show on that stuff Mm. um but you're using the same rigs most guys with trolling motors use mono leader and and some guys like me with inboards use wire um i think the wire tracks straighter um and you're using 150 pound test piano wire leader just like you would for kingfish something like that um and they're and and you're dragging it and i think it cuts through the water straight and it doesn't balloon up and it keeps the lures tracking straighter Mm. and things like that and it's the same thing you put the rods in the rod holders and you just 
troll. Just, just troll. And when the fish when the fish hits and jumps, you know they're going to hook themselves. Uh, typically, you want to get on the rod relatively quickly. But uh, and that's where you know when I was talking earlier about the flexible rod tips, um, I switched over to some blanks that had uh, that Don Savage had built for me that had um, a really flexible tip on them on my uh-huh. bow rods. And I was sold the first year. My hookup ratio on trolling went way up. It was up in the 70 to 80% range. And you took them down to Central America? Didn't you take some down there? No, those were the casting rods. Oh, the casting rods. Um, We just didn't get in enough fish. I think you got me a savage rod. Yeah, yeah, I probably did. Yeah, uh, I think that's how Scott and I met. Oh, really? And uh, the debauchery that went on at a Houston (laughs) George R. Brown fishing show. Just coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, that's right. Just coming up in a few minutes. I, uh, I mean, yeah, my kids didn't go to the boat show, so they 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 gave me dirty looks, and I promised them I committed. I'm taking them to the fishing show, and so I'm I'm gonna be there. I'll be there. Yeah. You going, Scott? At some point, I'm sure I'll swing yeah. by. Is there any truth? I think I read an article that tarpon fight away from the sun. Have you ever heard that? Is there any truth to that? I've never even heard it or thought of it. Maybe I'll start paying attention to that. It was a really <laughs> that, that needs to go in yeah. on the website. Well, no, I will say one thing. I will say one thing. In the mornings, I like trolling into the sun. Oh. And that's the most unscientific comment you're ever going to hear come out of my mouth because I have no clue why it is that in the in the before ten thirty or eleven, it's probably as much of a sort of a wife's tail and, and rabbit foot kind of a thing is anything. If it's confidence, it makes you it's better It's confidence, and I start going that. I go, well, I'm going to the, I'm gonna go into the thing because I think it works. So you, you troll, and I yeah. know this. Um, can you tell all the people what water depth you were trolling? Because people catch them on, in the surf mm-hmm. off the jetties. I know it's a little deeper. What are, what are the water depth ranges that someone – I'm going to give you a wonderful answer that you don't want me to tell you. Okay. Anywhere between 15 feet and 60 feet. That's that's reasonable. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That, I mean, that's uh, Mike Williams years ago um, coined the phrase Tarpon Alley off the Texas coast. Mm-hmm. And he was talking water depths anywhere from 15 feet out to, you know, 50 feet. And what he had learned, which a lot of the older people had known for years um, that Mike sort of rediscovered, was that's the main avenue and pathway through which these fish routinely migrate up and down on our coast from mexico into louisiana um we have proof they go deeper so i mean they are deeper they are out there and you'll get all kinds of debates well nobody sees them out there what you know whatever i Mm -hmm. I got a tag that says they were in in 300 feet of water i know they were there yeah they didn't do that in two miles off the coast of texas that didn't happen they they, they went out they went out deeper we know they did i got the proof so you can argue with me all you want but it is what it is um so, uh, but that's where they probably concentrate, and that's probably where they're concentrating to feed. When they're going deeper, they're probably spawning, and they're probably not in as much of a feeding process. And I think they may, depending on weather conditions and water clarity, they may migrate out deeper too at times. Now, but flounder have a flounder run. Tarpon have a tarpon run. Mm-hmm. Flounder have a spring run. Do tarpon have a spring run? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Do you focus them on them? Do you ever get out there? Can you ever access them? Because it's not every with flounder. It's I try to explain. It's different tactics. It's not the same patterns that you deal with in the fall. It's 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 not the huge gush, large amounts. That's more of a trickle. I like to follow the moons. I like to follow the tides a little closer during the spring for flounder. What do you do for tarpon if somebody's going to try to focus on them or try I to think, attempt at it? I think the spring run of tarpon 
just from my – well, there are a couple of things when you're talking about the spring and early summer, and this really goes into early summer depending on where the coast is. Uh, further up the coast is earlier summer mm-hmm. versus early spring – versus spring. But once you hit May, anywhere from really mid-April and down further the coast, it's, it's beginning of April um, up until the first part of June, middle of June on the upper part of the coast. They're going to start moving through, and I think that the – just as many well certainly just as many fish but we can have just as good of fishing in into may early june as you can in the fall which is typically what people think is mm-hmm. tarpon season in texas is august september and october um, i think you can have just as good of fishing in the in the early part of the summer it's probably in a more concentrated window of time i don't think it's as extended but the other problem we face in that time of the year is we all know it blows like snot around here sometimes and you yeah. can never get out so that probably limits some of our ability to know what's going on out there in that in that water column uh, you know in that depth because we're just not out there because it's blowing so hard right well isn't that kind of all that's kind of a function of temperature too i mean they do like at seven i mean 79 if they could dial the thermostat in somewhere that's where they'd want to want yeah to you're it. yeah you're close the tag shows around 78 okay is kind of their optimal the, the temperature they like the bigger fish will will handle the smaller fish uh, let's say it this way the smaller fish can handle a wider range of temperature they'll go down into colder and they'll they'll survive once you get water temps down in the 50s you're getting to the mortality level of Mm -hmm. the tarpon um no matter how big um did but, uh, we see any tarpon did you hear any reports this year on the texas coast yeah they had some um uh, north padre island the canals okay uh, all around corpus christi port aransas they we, yeah. we lost some okay yeah um and and so they have a toler a better tolerance for the cooler waters and they don't migrate as far right um, and you know you hear a lot about smaller tarpon further down on the coast less smaller tarpon on the upper texas coast and that's probably why because we have what we call what i call beach runners mm-hmm. you get these smaller fish that are 80 pounds or less uh 80 pounds down to about 20 30 pounds and they're running up and down the beach and so in the in the spring and summer they're coming up the coast and they're spending time up on in the beach zone mm-hmm. you know uh south of of really kind of south of freeport um all the way down the coast and then in the fall they're probably a little slower to get moving south but then they kind of move south and they probably don't go as far south in mexico as some of the other fish do the bigger fish do have a tolerance of about 74 degrees is probably their get up and go number when that water temperature hits 74 it's kind of it's okay i can move i'm gonna move and get out of it um they like that 78 degree temperature is a really good number for them um that they like to be in there's probably or the biologists think there's probably a relation between that temperature and bait fish coming out of the bays mullets um mm-hmm. and and even um, rain minnows and stuff <laughs> like that coming out of the bay and so there's probably a correlation between the fall and that bait being there and the tarpon knowing that and having evolved to like that temperature because they know all that comes together kind of at that water temperature um, but once you get down into that 74 degree water temperatures they want to boogie out of there and get out of there and they tend to go to 78 and stop again (laughs) so yeah love it that's good stuff i mean i mean i don't know how how else you're going to get an education aspect from the tarpon that scott's shared with everybody today i mean i think that's awesome i mean every time i talk to you i learn and you you'll tell me this there's so much information that comes at me 
Yeah. And, uh, and so I get excited, you know, when, when I just get fired up because yeah. it's educational stuff. comes from 30 years of doing it. Understood. 30 years. And that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdotal bit of information. I had a friend of mine that I've known for years, and, and we were fishing a tournament, and he was in his boat, and I was in mine. And I think we had jumped to fish the day before, and we had stopped on the co- on, in a spot mm-hmm. uh, on the coast to fish, and I had stopped, and we – we caught a fish in that spot and, and he, that night at dinner he looked at me he goes man he goes i ran over that spot and he goes i just kept going so why did you what was it about that that made you stop there and i said well the way the water looked and he goes well what do you mean and i kind of sat down and gave him a little a two-minute conversation of what it was i read in the water that told me stop here and the next day he did exactly that. He ran. He saw what I had seen. He stopped and he caught a fish. And he probably hadn't caught a fish in years. And he <laughs> caught a fish that day. And he goes, man, that was right on. That was exactly right. And, and that, that's what I talk about, the learning curve. It's a huge learning curve. And you, reading the water when it comes to tarpon fishing off the Texas coast is a huge part of it. You got to read the way it looks. You read things, current lines, and there you know, people don't realize there's current lines in 35, 40 feet of water out there, and it everything's different and things change every day. And that water moves up and down the coast, and then it can change. One day you can be on a pile of tarpon, the next day they're going to be gone. Um, and the more you do it, the more you learn what looks right, what doesn't look right. Uh-huh. and what you're looking for and what you don't. And then electronics are great. Our depth founders and our side scans and all that stuff are great tools. They're fantastic tools once you learn how to use them right. But reading the water and those basic instincts that you learn after years and years of tarpon fishing is – that's why the guides – that's why I say go with guides because they've got that knowledge. They, and they can't – you can't sit down and give somebody a lecture like you talk about. You know, Every time you talk to me, you learn something else. Um, you can't get that from – you know, spending a few hours, you got to spend it over time and yeah. learn. And, and there's a direct correlation between that and success, you know. And once you get over that hump and that hurdle and you've gotten to the point where you can do some of those basic things to get you more effective, then as time goes on, you're just going to get better and better and better at it. Huh. Yeah. So, well, guys, I'm going to have to get home to Mama here pretty soon. I hear that. <laughs> I do. I think I think this is this has been great, and it's certainly worthy of a follow up. If y'all are up for that, sure. At some point in time, I'm sure. Down. What we probably ought to do is do a show on techniques because we only kind of touched on yeah tackle and techniques because there's a lot. There's I, a lot. I, I, I mean, to I that. told you, Shane, going into this, I said I'm not going to have much time to talk. You know what I know <laughs> about. I mean, because Scott's a wealth. I mean, yeah. just a treasure trove of information. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to. I want I want to show people. Uh, I'd love to show them like with a couple quick pictures, but I know it's all on your website too. Because yeah, seen and it. you can one of the things too is you can go to uh, you know I, I hold a couple tournaments during the year and they're invitation only now. But if you want to go, contact me and and you know that's part of the learning and the more you learn, you don't mess up. So you know I'm real big on communication and helping people because look there are going to be more fishermen in the world there's no way to stop it mm-hmm. it's going to happen yeah. um and people want to say well this part of texas is better than this part of texas right. tarpon fishing that's not true it's not true at all you can catch them anywhere from brownsville to sabine pass um 
Galveston's just as good as Port O'Connor, just as good as Port Aransas, just as good. As, I mean, it, it, the fish move. They move all the time. Um, there's some years that Galveston's super hot and Port Aransas is slow or whatever. I mean, it just goes all over the place. So it, wherever you are in Texas, you can go find a spot to tarpon fish. There's just not a question about it. If you can get to the coast, whatever the spot on the coast is closest, you can go. So don't feel like, oh, well, I, I can't go to, you know, Galveston, I, you know, that. so I can't tarpon fish. That's just not true. Um, so – Going to a particular spots not as important, um, but my website Project Tarpon. You can go on to uh, just go on to Vimeo and do some search, and you'll find some videos. Yeah, I know, yeah, he's got two. Yeah, I got <laughs> I got two deals. Project Tarpon was really Project Tarpon was the baby of the International Tarpon Conservation okay. Association. It's not a nonprofit. We didn't really I didn't really kind of form that the same right. for the same purposes. And now Project Tarpon only does. Um, only really does a tournament. That's all it's all that's it's all there does. for. That's yeah. all it does. But the now. but the the lures and the setups and everything on Project Topper. Yeah, okay, you buy the lures and all that stuff. But the lures <coughs> are through a different deal. But anyway, without getting into it too mm-hmm. deep. But I know. But I I tarpon and I mean and ITCA was formed as a as a different kind of organization as a nonprofit and all those other things. And it we don't want to have anything to do with tournaments. So it's it's yeah, a separate yeah. deal. It's a, it's a totally separate deal. But yep. you can go on Vimeo and and just basically start looking up Texas tarpon and searching that. And you'll see some of the Project Tarpon videos that I've done and. They're really cool. Some of y'all tagging on that. Yeah, program. and one That's of the things we've neat. done in the last couple of years, which is I'm really proud of, which is really cool, which I always <laughs> wanted to do, is get a picture, get a video of a tarpon eating a troll coon pop underwater. <laughs> and we've got three or four of those videos on there, and they're just oh, cool. cool. Just watching these 120-pound fish come up behind a lure and just munch them. And, and like – just and gulf them it's just ah, oh, it's awesome i mean i get on scott's boat and it's like oh, i've got this video camera that goes underwater i've got this one that looks over the whole boat, and i'm like this is cool i mean you know it's like everything's videoed you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. hey real quick before we go why do they rattle their gills when they when they fight is there a, a function to that do you think that's just trying to throw they're trying to throw the throw it? it's their yeah it's their instinct whenever they get something and it it probably comes from the fact that tarpon are scavengers to some degree. I mean, I've been down in um, in uh, the Cayman Islands, and you know they feed them uh, they feed them scraps from the kitchen off the piers at some of the restaurants. <laughs> and I was there one night, and they were throwing scraps in, and, and some guy threw a tail of a tuna that they had cleaned, and they threw it in the water. And of course, it was too big to swallow. Well, this tarpon comes up and eats it, and it gets stuck in the mouth because you can't. And so what's the first thing you do? He jumps and threw it out. So that's their instinct to clear their mouth. And so probably because they eat all different kinds of They swallow it whole or they crush it. Yeah, they they swallow it whole. they got crushers in the back of their throat for crabs and stuff. They they just eat anything to some degree. Um, And so it's their instinct to get rid of it. I guess since they they can't bite into it and chew it, they either got to swallow it or spit it out. Right. If they can't swallow it, they got to have the instinct to throw it. So when they get something stuck, stuck in their mouth like a hook their instinct is i got to get rid of it and what one of the cool things is in boca grand which is one of the traditional tarpon fishing places years for years and they still do it now is they get the fish up to the boat and they'll just pop the hook and they'll pop the leader off the hook and they'll leave the hook in the fish's jaw and it'll either rust out or they use they use straight hooks a lot and they'll they'll work a hole and then they'll come, come out, out. Yeah. well you'll be sitting there tarpon fishing in the pass and all of a sudden a fish will jump next to the boat and he's not hooked by anybody 
and you'll watch him jump up in the air and he'll shake his head and the old hook will go one way and he'll land back in the water. Well, and he's just getting rid of that hook. That's yeah. neat. That's neat. Yeah. I've, I've always preached, look, don't do surgery on any fish. If you can't get the hook quickly and efficiently cut it, he'll get rid of it. We've seen it over and over again on the flounder that we brought into the tanks. I've seen redfish poop it out the other end. Oh, redfish are notorious for that. I've, yeah. I've caught more than one with leader coming out of them. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it hadn't fully digested. So, yeah. yeah. All right, folks, thanks for listening. If you want to check out uh, Scott's work, look go to www.itarpa.org for International Tarpon Conservation Association. You can donate to some great research and, uh, and learn more about some of the stuff we talked about today. You can also go to Project Tarpon and check out what Scott's some videos and products he has up on there. Guys, appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for listening. Thanks, thanks. Shane.